1: Ball loose. Lance, give me one. Give hits. me one Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte. He knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain push with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton oh. leaves it off for Batazza. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by healed. He only lays it in. Heeled. Fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissett. Pounced it all. It's it to Taylor. Miss. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly.
0: Yes. TJ
2: Warren is not human.
3: Halliburton gonna slam
0: it at the other end. Mm-hmm.
3: Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Hope you guys are enjoying it, whether you're traveling or staying at home. Hope you'll have a great one. Fachi and I are going to be busy this weekend, so we pre-recorded this conversation with Chris and Ari on Thursday night. But Fachi, this is a fun episode. Always love when we can have
4: Chris and Ari join us. Always great when Chris joins the show. It makes you feel like you're watching a Pacer game right <laughs> yeah. again when you hear from him. So, hey, it had been a while since we had Chris on the show. So, hey, welcome back, Chris. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Absolutely. So without further
3: ado, let's take a quick break and we will bring on Chris and Erin.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: Hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another episode here of Setting the Pace. So me and Fauci are joined by uh, another person today. He is the voice of the Pacers for uh, Pacers TV on uh, Valley Sports, Indiana. It's Chris and Eric. Chris, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, great to be with you guys. Uh, I've You know, I've enjoyed the offseason. You never want to not work uh, in April and May. Uh, you'd like to be in the playoffs. But uh, I have uh, made the most of... Uh, of the time off, watched a lot of the NBA playoffs, and it sort of rejuvenates you for the
4: future. So, uh, all is well. Happy to hear it. I mean, Chris, this, you are someone that we definitely we miss hearing from, and I think all Pacer fans feel the same way. But take us just a little bit of, you know, maybe how, how's the offseason been treating you so far? Uh, it's been really good.
1: Uh, I probably haven't played as much golf as I thought I would, but I, <laughs> I still got plenty of summer left. Um, no, it's been good. Uh, my wife and I, we have a uh, almost six month old grandson, our first grandchild, uh, Archie. Congrats on that! Thanks. And so uh, we watch him a couple days a week. Our daughter in law is a nurse at Methodist Hospital downtown, and our son is an accountant. And so between her parents and us, uh, we have Archer, uh, who goes by Archie. You know, a couple days a week, so that's awesome. I mean, it's. They tell you that being a grandparent is great. I would say it's better than great. So uh, really enjoyed that. And then uh, June the 4th, our oldest son, Evan, gets married down in Louisville. His fiance is Meredith. Uh, She's from Louisville and they live in Myrtle Beach. And so we'll all be heading down to Louisville uh, on the 1st. And uh, the reception on June the 4th is at Churchill Downs. So uh, it's going to be a heck of a party. And uh, so, you know, it's great that I have the time uh, that I'm able to focus on family because, you know, clearly during the course of a, of a season, uh, when you're playing three to four nights a week and you're, you know, you're traveling when all things are regular, um, you know, you're pretty much consumed by that. So uh, it's, it's, I'm really happy that I, I have the availability right now to do all those things uh, family wise.
3: Yeah, no, that's great, and I think it's awesome that your son's getting married, and congratulations to him, and I'm sure they will have a spectacular day, but that is the party before the party here for the Pacers here. We got the draft coming up soon. Uh, Before we joined you, you were telling us a little bit about the draft party, you got to host that, and just kind of walk me through that experience and maybe how fans felt after uh, realizing that we got the sixth overall pick.
1: Yeah, we were uh, for the draft lottery party a week ago Tuesday. uh, We were at Birdies in Westfield, which is a brand new uh, facility that uh, has putt putt and uh, great food, a, a you know great bar, great gathering spot, and it was for season ticket holders. Um, and and it was a great crowd. I, there was probably five six hundred people there. Uh, three of the players were there: uh, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Isaiah Jackson, and Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, I got a chance to visit with those, uh, interview them in front of all the fans, and. Then the fans got to interact with them, pictures, autographs. I mean, it really was cool. And uh, then everybody watched, and, and there was a lot of excitement, you know, as you went from 14, uh, and, and especially at nine. I think you, everybody, you didn't want to be nine, right? I mean, uh, and, and then nine was off the board, then eight was off the board, then seven was off the board, and you knew you were going to have a top six, and you were sure hoping that you could be in the top four, the top three, And then lo and behold, Mark Tatum holds up the Pacers logo at number six. Probably took the wind out of the sails of the crowd because I I know people were hoping for a little better uh, draft spot. But all in all, you're going to get a good player, uh, gives the Pacers, I think, some opportunity. I mean, who knows what's going to happen on draft night? I mean, you've got uh, number six, you've got number 31, and you've got number 58. I think the great thing about 31 is basically, guys, that's a first-round draft pick, but it's second-round money. Um, And uh, there's just a lot of options. I mean, Kevin Pritchard talked about that uh, that night, that uh, they have a lot of opportunity coming up uh, on draft night into free agency. Uh, So that was the first step. Uh, You were hoping for a little bit higher pick. But I, I think if you make the number six pick, you're going to get a good player that's going to help you, not just in the short term, but I think in the long term.
4: Yeah, I think you said taking the wind out of ourselves when we uh, picked sixth overall. Alex and I did a, a live reaction to the draft lottery. And it, just like you mentioned, it was very exciting seeing nine, eight, seven go. And it wasn't us. But there was something about when it was sixth that it was like, man, our whole fan base had such high expectations of the hope, maybe of jumping. But hey, six, we really can't complain because for a lot of us, including yourself, you know, this is the best pick the Patriots have had since you know you've been covering the team, which kind of brings me to my question: since you've been covering the team, where would this offseason rank amongst the biggest? Uh, that's a great question.
1: I mean, just because of uh, you know, the last two seasons of not making the playoffs and then last season 25 wins, and you know, it, it honestly, if you look at the record. It's one of the poorest in, in Pacers franchise history. So I think to bounce back, it's a very important summer. Um, I, I think back to 2010 when the Pacers drafted Paul George and Lance Stevenson in the second round. Those were my first four years and the Pacers had not made the playoffs. And in fact, we had a draft party at the field house. And I remember when I got up on stage and said the name Paul George, I'm going to say most of the people in the building, they didn't even know who Paul George was because they didn't watch uh, college basketball late night from the West Coast. And, you know, he played at Fresno State. And I think we all know that like a lot of players, Paul George is a better NBA player um, than he was a college player. And so, you know, that was an important off season for the Pacers. and, And that started that stretch of, of uh, you know four years where they they got to the playoffs in 2011, uh, got to the playoffs in 2012, won a first round series against Orlando, and then that set the table for the next two years going to the Eastern Conference Finals. So um, I think 2010 was an important summer, um, and in recently. This is probably this is probably the most important one. I, I think you're right, just because of where you've been the last two years and where you hope to go.
3: Yeah, and, and I think obviously it all kind of started when we traded Demontis Sabonis to the Kings, got back Tyrese Halliburton, a franchise, you know, hopefully a franchise cornerstone for this team moving forward, and you know, just a young point guard. This team has desperately needed a point guard, and I, I think at the end of his career, if he stays here with the Pacers, I mean, you're talking potentially best Pacers point guard of all time, especially in the NBA. Um, He just got that kind of talent. So I'm just curious though, when they made that trade, what was your initial reaction seeing that Sabonis was dealt? And then number two, when you saw Tyrese Halliburton play, what were your thoughts on how he played this season?
1: You know, anytime something happens uh, during the course of a season, you're surprised. But I I don't think in this instance, I was all that surprised. I, I was surprised that the Pacers were able to get Tyrese Halliburton. I think all along, if, you, if the Pacers were going to make that trade with Sacramento, it always seemed like it would be De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. But you're able to get a player on his rookie deal, still has two more years on his rookie deal, um, and, and you've got somebody that can be with you for the next, what, for sure for the next five to seven years, right? And that enables you to build around him. Uh, I'd always liked what I saw from Halliburton when I watched Sacramento play, but I didn't know all that much about him. Um, you know, in that first game, think about that Friday night, that first game uh, against Cleveland when what the Pacers scored 40 some odd points in the first quarter. It was an amazing night. That that Even though they didn't win the game, that told me something about maybe what the future would be like. And uh, he put up some... Stellar numbers, you know, averaging a double-double in a Pacers uniform, uh, 18 points, 10 assists. Uh, I just think he's a guy that, that also fits with what the culture the Pacers are trying to establish. He wants to be here. And I'm not saying other guys don't want to be here, but this is a guy from the Midwest, from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He has family in Kokomo. He grew up coming to central Indiana on a regular basis, so I really think he has embraced this entire situation, and to see him, you know, during the month of May, be out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, to see him in the Ascension St. Vincent Center in May with eight to nine of his teammates working out and and getting ready for next season, guys. It's May. We're still we we still have four teams playing in the 2022 playoffs, and you've got. A group of about 10 guys that on a regular basis are working out at the Ascension St. Vincent Center, and people will tell you it's led by Tyrese Halliburton. I don't know how you can not think that
4: this guy is not going to be a great leader for this franchise. I love absolutely everything I'm hearing about the offseason and the Pacers working together because that's what feels like something special brewing. And when the team's getting together in the offseason, it's something that we kind of wish maybe would have happened a little bit more in the past. We heard of some dinners here and there, Brogdon visiting some people. But this really sounds like a, a tight-knit group. While they are very young and there was a lot of change this year, how much do you feel that Rick Carlisle has been able to put his imprint on what he wants to do moving forward with hey, his offense or the pieces that are now a part of this team? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that. I mean, I think,
1: you know, Rick said when he took the job, he didn't necessarily have a style of play. He would adapt to who he had. But all coaches still have a style of play. And and we know that if you look back at how Dallas played, um, you know, they liked to shoot the three. He wanted to have good three-point shooters. And that was an issue for the Pacers early in the season. I mean, they were a bottom five three-point shooting team. And that changed a little bit when they got Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And even when they added Jalen Smith, he became a, a pretty good three-point shooter from the four or the five position. So I do think that I, I'm sure when the opportunity came, uh, there was great input from Rick in what he's trying to establish in working with the front office in the type of play that this Pacers team wants to have moving forward. And, and clearly... You're giving up a two-time All-Star, and and we all know what DeMontis Sabonis became as a member of the Indiana Pacers. But to get something, you have to give up something. And with where the Pacers were, you know, it's unfortunate, guys. I mean, I, I would keep looking at the numbers if you went and 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 talked about the core, the core four Pacers this year, and I'm not even counting. T.J. Warren, who played four games two years ago. But the core four of Miles Turner, DeMontis, Sabonis, Karis Levert, and Malcolm Brogdon, they had played so few games together that you wondered, would they ever play together? And so I think from a front office standpoint, you go, well, how long are we going to wait? Whether it's based on injury or all those kinds of things. And they just decided, look, we've given it a go. Um, We can't do this any longer we need to make a change and and that's why they did what they did
3: yeah and I mean obviously the bright spot of the season I would say was the Halliburton trade but just a few months before that or maybe just a month before that really they brought back Lance Stevenson obviously we know his contract is up at the end of this season and so we'll see if he's brought back or not but just talk about what you noticed in a difference in terms of just a change and how the Pacers went about handling business once Lance came back to the team
1: yeah, I mean, I I think the one thing, you know, Lance, Lance is just a different individual than he was here the first time. Uh, and he's been here, what, three times now. Um, you know, he was happy to be here, happy to be a part of the team. I mean, he'll tell you uh, a, a huge mistake he made uh, was, was leaving the Pacers and not signing the contract that would have kept him here. Uh, you know, after those seasons. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but but that's the past and you have to look forward. Um, I will say that um, it's going to be hard to top uh, the call of the first quarter of his first game at Gainbridge Fieldhouse this year against Brooklyn. It's magical. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would say the two quarters that I would put, um, you know, that were the most exciting was quarter number one against Cleveland in the debut of Jalen Smith, Halliburton, and Buddy. And then, of course, Lance on that night when he comes in off the bench and he scores 20 in the first quarter and 30 in the game. Um, To hear the ovation when he checked in. I remember remember telling our, our producer and our director, I said, look, when it's time for Lance to come in, I'm just going to say something very short, like, hey, Lance Stevenson checking in, and then let the crowd tell the story. That's what people wanted to, to feel. And, and I got goosebumps. There is no question about it. I mean, that was a, a magical moment. And I would have to say, you know, there, uh, through, the, through the 16 years that I've done Pacers games, You know, that's right up there with one of the most magical moments that I've had a chance to be a part of, to see what Lance did. Because there was, in my eyes, a tremendous amount of pressure on him in game one to come back. And for him to do what he did, I mean, it was incredible.
4: No, it really was. Honestly, I mean, that was a moment that when we reflect back on the season, it's something that really sticks out. And especially when he came back to the Pacers, it was at a time where – The morale with the fan base was lower than you wanted it to be. So they really needed kind of like an injection. So overall, I mean, this team right now, I feel like they have a lot of resources available, whether it's cap space, it's draft picks. They're very young, but where's maybe the first starting point as to what you think that they should address this offseason?
1: Well, part of it is it's what happens in the draft and, and what happens on draft night. I mean, you know, you've already read about some teams that maybe try to move up, uh, maybe try to use their draft pick as collateral to get veteran players. I mean, different teams are in different situations as far as what they want to do. I mean, you know, Sacramento felt like they were making the trade back at the trade deadline to get DeMontis Sabonis and then all the other players that they got because they desperately wanted to make the playoffs, right, guys? Because they haven't been in the playoffs in, what, 16, 17 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the draft is—it's interesting because the NFL and the NBA do it differently, right? The the NFL has free agency first, and then the draft, and the NBA has the draft and then free agency. So, in in some regards, you don't know what's going to happen when you know July first comes, when when free agency happens. Uh, I do like the core of the young guys. I think those are guys you can develop. Um, I do think it's essential to have some veterans around them because I do think this is a franchise that wants to get back to the playoffs. And, and, and I would say relatively soon. I'm not going to put, hey, next year, they have to be in the playoffs or else. But that's just how this franchise you know, has operated. And if you look at the sheer numbers over the last 25 years, guys, I know the Pacers have not won an NBA title, but they had, they've had as many Eastern Conference Finals appearances as, as most of the other top teams. And they have, they've been a franchise that I think a number of teams in the East and even in the West have aspired to be. The other thing is, is if you look at the teams that were in the playoffs this year, especially let's go to the West. 2 or 3 years ago the three worst teams in the west were Dallas, Memphis and Phoenix. And this year those were three of your top 8 teams in the playoffs. If you look at the east, a year ago Atlanta and New York were the 4th and 5th seeds. This year Atlanta barely made it into the playoffs and New York did not. And then you had some team you had a team like Cleveland with all of their young talent that you know, made a push, and unfortunate, unfortunately for the Pacers, did not make the playoffs, so it cost them a draft pick. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think the standings can be pretty volatile, and I think done the right way, you can get back to where you want to be maybe quicker than, than you used to uh, be able to do it. Um, we've seen that. Um, we've seen Memphis build with young talent. We've seen Cleveland with – what do they have guys four or five top five picks over Mm -hmm. the last five or six years. And then you sprinkle in the veterans. Um, it's all doable. So, um, I like the young guys, the Pacers have, um, to, to me, it is now miles Turner's opportunity to say, Hey, this is also my team, uh, because he doesn't have the shadow of DeMontis Sabonis over him anymore. Um, and I'm. I really want to see him operate with somebody like Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I want to see how the Pacers play big at times, play small at times. I just think there there's a lot of opportunity there, and a lot's gonna a lot's gonna happen on draft night to figure out who the Pacers
4: take. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and I don't know if you've got a chance to listen to the podcast or not, but we've had some interesting conversations, I know that j did too, about DeAndre Ayton, and I'm not going to ask you about Ayton specifically, but I do want to talk about these playoffs, and, and you brought it up that you've been watching them, obviously, looking at some of these centers in the NBA uh, conference finals right now. you got Bam Adebayo, who doesn't really shoot the three ball. Dwight Powell isn't a three-point shooter. Uh, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, they're not known for shooting threes. And then Al Horford, Robert Williams, I mean – Horford will will step out and shoot them occasionally, but that's not his go to shot. Um, it's just kind of different. The the big man in today's NBA. So, do you think that um, when you're looking at a big man, do you care if he can really knock down the three, or are you more so worried about how he can guard the perimeter, knowing that everything's become a switch heavy league, a lot of perimeter driven guys, and being able to have that switch ability to keep a guy in front of you?
1: Yeah, and I think I think we all know what we saw at the end of the year. The Pacers have to be better defensively. I mean, you you cannot. Win games when you're consistently giving up 130 points per game. I don't care how good your offense is, uh, because the, late in the year, the Pacers' offense wasn't the issue. Um, it was the defense. And can you pin some of that on not having Miles Turner? Probably, uh, but you've got to be better on the perimeter, especially if you don't have Miles Turner uh, protecting the rims. So, I think I think that's really an area of emphasis the Pacers are going to have to look at. They've got to be better. Uh, defensively. Um, as you talk about centers, I mean, it's, it's interesting because when, when Boston goes smaller without Robert Williams on the floor, they'll play Grant Williams. And what, there was a game where he shot 17 threes and he was playing the backup center position. Um, so I, I do think you have to have some versatility, um, you're right. You, you mentioned some of those teams. You know, you know, Dwight Powell's not a three-point shooter. Ayton will take a three here and there, but he's he's not really a three-point shooter. Um, I, I still think I, I think it comes down to you've got to be better defensively, and I think that's something the Pacers really have to to focus on uh, also in the off season. I think the, the defense will help the offense. It will take pressure off the offense. I think what was happening is is when you know you're going to give up that many points, it just puts a tremendous amount of
4: pressure on you to score. You know, the Pacers picking sixth overall, like we mentioned a little bit before. Just a massive draft pick for this organization. A ton of different people, I feel like a ton of different players could be in the running, but it feels like nowadays there's less of a sample size with some of these players than ever before. For instance, Shane Sharp, who didn't play in college basketball. You have a ton of other guys that were highly touted freshmen and everything of a sort. How much emphasis should the Pacers put on maybe taking the best possible player or should they lean towards of maybe the best possible fit?
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, you'll I I think it's hard not to take the best possible player. I mean, um, you know, fit. Fit is important as well. I mean, part of it's going to depend on what happens in front of you. I mean, you know, one of the guys that I'm intrigued about is, is Keegan Murray out of Iowa because, you know, he could play the four. What, he's 6'8". Um, he's a little older, I know, uh, but he shoots the ball well. Is, that is sort of a fit, but he also uh, could be the best player available. Um, you know, Sharp, we didn't see at Kentucky. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, uh, you know, there could be a G League Ignite uh, player available that might be moving up. Um, that's a great question. I, that's guys where I, I'm sure we're all glad. That's why we do what we do, right? You can do the mock drafts. I can MC the thing, but I don't have to worry about what, what the Pacers are going to pick because especially at six, uh, that, that can be a difficult situation. Uh, but I do think no matter what happens, just as I look at the, the, the players available and all the things that are involved, you're going to get, you're gonna get a, a player that I think can, can really help you, uh, you know, turn things around. I really do. I mean, I think that's that's really the key. I, you know, If you look at what the Pacers have been able to do the last 20 plus years with picks anywhere from 10, 11 to 17, 13 in the 20s they've really done a pretty good job. So um, it'll be great to see somebody of this ilk, uh, you know, a top six player uh, join the Pacers.
3: Yeah, and and I have one last question here for you, Chris, because, I mean, obviously everybody knows the Pacers were hoping to get a top three pick, top four, uh, but they fell to six. They only fell back one spot. There's still a lot of buzz, though. There's a lot of players that fans are really intrigued by there at six. Keegan Murray is one of them. Uh, You know, like Fauci said, Mather and Sharp, you know, potentially Ivy, who knows? I mean, anything can happen in the draft. It's crazy, right? But Kevin Pritchard seemed pretty adamant that he's going to be aggressive and and making moves to get this team better. I don't think he says that just to say that. I really believe that he's going to do something about it because I haven't only heard him come out and say we're going to be this aggressive before. So um, maybe just kind of like give me some of your initial thoughts after what KP had to say after the, the draft lottery.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think the 31 pick, um, you know, is, is a place where you can be aggressive. There would be a lot of teams that would be interested in that pick in, in how you package that if, if that's what you choose to do. Um, but, uh, you know, you think about, you know, what he was able to do when he was in Portland and, and I think he's been pretty aggressive here in, in how he's been able to do things. And, you know, think about last year, um, They were able to get a second first-round draft pick and add Isaiah Jackson to the mix with Chris Duarte. And I think we all recognize what we saw in Isaiah Jackson this year, that he is, uh, if not a starter, he is a definite big-time rotational player that can help you uh, as he matures. So I think we saw that happen last year. They got involved in that five-team deal. You know, sent Aaron Holiday to Washington. It was the Russell Westbrook deal in going to L.A. Uh, so, yeah, that that's it, – it, I'm sure if you were to walk in to the draft room, they've got all kinds of scenarios they're working on right now. And those scenarios would be from actually taking players at 6, 31, and 58 and taking one of those players. I mean – we just don't know what's going to happen. But, but I expect last year did not sit well with anybody. Uh, it was not what was expected. Um, and, and so I definitely feel like there will be some aggressive maneuvers um, during the course of the draft, uh, during free agency, all those things to get this franchise back to where they
3: expect to be. Yeah. And I think that's what gets a lot of fans excited because I know you, we had talked before and I was pretty out on the core that we had previously. And you said you were bullish on them, wanted to see them get a chance. And unfortunately we really never got to because of the injury. So uh, I think Pritchard addressed that after the Halliburton trade, you know, just talking about eventually you can't hope that everybody gets healthy because at some point you just have to call it a, a day. But and I like the direction we're heading. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, but that being said, this is, uh, all we have. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to uh, plug, maybe anything you'd like to share before we sign off?
1: No, just I uh, really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Always uh, love to listen to you guys and follow you guys on Twitter and those types of things. I mean, you know, we're blessed to have so many great Pacers fans out there. And 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 I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I thought the atmosphere at GameBridge Fieldhouse late in the year was really good. I mean, I know it was difficult. I mean, we... I have not endured a season like the Pacers had this year, 25 wins. Um, and, and so we, we know it was difficult. But I think, as you said, I was one of those. I wanted to see it play out, but I totally understood when, when the team got to February, it, it just was not going to happen. And you have to give the front office a lot of credit for getting done what they got done. And I think that gave you guys, I think it gave people that listen to your podcast, I think it gave Pacers fans, even though the wins weren't there, I think it gave people a lot of hope because they really saw that the organization said, hey, we're, we're going to try to make things better. We're just not going to stay the course and see if it works out. And uh, so I, I give a lot of credit to those fans, the people in the building, Uh, despite, you know, the poor record, I think did a great job. And that's why a week ago at the draft lottery party, there were a lot of fans there that were excited. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's good to know and uh, look forward to sharing that with people
4: uh, throughout the rest of the summer. Hey, as always, Chris, definitely appreciate you. You know, like I said earlier offline, we missed your voice and we're so happy to have you, um, you know, back on our TV sets soon enough. All right. Thanks, guys.
3: All right, everybody, that was great stuff there from Chris Zaneri. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Chris Zaneri. It's pretty basic. So, uh, you know, he doesn't tweet a whole lot, but uh, he's on there actively watching. So you never know. Uh, if you say something interesting, he might reply. But other than that, Fauci, any
4: final thoughts as
3: we kind of close out this Memorial Day weekend?
4: I would just say I hope you guys had an awesome weekend. I mean, things are heating up around Pacer Nation. There's a great buzz going around. Anything can happen in the draft. Expect some trades later this offseason, and we're going to be breaking it all down right as it comes. So, once again, just we appreciate you guys. Like I said, you make the show
3: absolutely. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a five star rating and review and enter yourself into the prize package uh competition here. I guess I don't know what to call it, I guess just like a, a giveaway uh chance here. You know, we talked about the jersey, the Juman O'Neal autograph card, and the setting the pace t shirt slash hoodie. Make sure you guys get your screenshots in. Send that rating interview over to me at alexgoldennba at gmail.com so you guys can enter a chance to win. And we will be doing that after the NBA draft. So, a lot of exciting uh, things there about you. But go ahead and tell people where they can find us out on social media.
4: Absolutely. So, you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at alexgoldennba. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're counting down the days till the NBA draft, say these three words.
3: Let's go Pacers!